This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Hour number two of Orange Nation underway on ESPN Radio. Phone lines open the rest of the way at 315-437-7644. And we kick off hour number two by a very special guest, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Former NFL quarterback, uh, former NFL quarterback, former first round draft pick Ryan Leaf in studio with us. Ryan just wrapped up his radio show for the Pac-12 Network. Kind enough to to give us a few minutes of his time here to uh, to kick off hour number two. Let's begin with the burning question everybody around town wants to know. I'm sure our listeners, why is Ryan Leaf in Syracuse? So, w- what brought you to Central New York, Ryan? Yeah, f- flying in and out uh, of Syracuse, uh, but spent the last two days in Watertown and. Uh, uh, your guys' state senator, um, Patty uh, Ritchie, uh, invited me to come speak to uh, the school district, uh, a bunch of freshmen yesterday morning, and then at a community event last night, pretty much to uh, to address the opiate epidemic that's affecting northern and central New York. Yeah, so give us a little more insight. We'll get to the football stuff, and we want to pick your brain about a few things. Seth brought something up in the last segment about the NFL Combine and underclassmen that he wants to get to with you. Um, but... Give us a little bit about your message to these kids, and and you know maybe our listeners can learn something as well. So, what, what's your message to these kids? Well, it usually is is just simply telling them my story. You know, I think that this epidemic isn't necessarily the same as what like crack cocaine was in the eighties. It was uh, socioeconomic. This is not the case now. The opiate epidemic is a, a is affecting anybody. Where the second pick in the NFL draft. Uh, can be afflicted and end up in prison or or almost die because of this. And it's affecting everybody in the community, doctors, lawyers. um, It doesn't matter. And it's exactly the same thing if there's somebody who is down on their luck and is using, is is graduated to using heroin and is on the street. It's it's the exact same thing. You are uh, an opiate abuser and an opiate addict. And, and we need to be able to try to effectively change the stigma of this, that it's, it's a disease and treat it rather than punitively punish it by putting people in prisons and and, and filling those things up. Last one on this before we get to the football stuff. What was the turning point for you? And and I respect the heck out of you because you've 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 turned this into a positive, right? I mean, you obviously went through a very difficult time, and now you're you know you're touring the country and you're you're telling your story and you're, you're trying to save lives and, and help people. So I, I I respect you for that. So what allowed you to to get on the other side of it? And and so many people can't. What what was the difference for you? Well, I I. I give a lot of credit to the fact that when I screwed up, you know, everybody showed me that mirror. You know, I was in the public eye. There are so many that deal with this affliction or with this disease that are in the shadows, and we don't hear about it, and we don't hear about it until they're gone. And so the hope is, is that while I'm out there doing it and shining a light on it, those individuals that are in the shadows and are as miserable as I once was or are struggling. They see that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be vulnerable and for them to show up and save their own lives. And I think that's that's super important. Um, I didn't necessarily, when I got out of prison, want to be in the public eye ever again. And the people I've surrounded myself with who have showed me that this peaceful and unchaotic, unchaotic life can exist, it, it was imperative that I do share my story and, and, and be that spotlight. And we're seeing it more and more from guys uh, and girls who are at the highest level. We've seen it recently with Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and even Michael Phelps talking about their battles with depression, and they're at the top of their games. And it kind of just shows you, just because you're really good at something doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have life experience. We're all flawed human beings trying to be better every day, and I think that's the important message that I try to 
translate when I speak to these people. We're talking with Ryan Leaf. He, he's in studio here with us, the 1998 second overall pick in, in the NFL draft. So along those lines, uh, let, let's turn the conversation to football. And, of course, we just had the NFL draft, and you see all these quarterbacks come out, and you know, you, you're doing the show on the Pac-12 network and, and games on the Pac-12 network. Two of them coming out of the Pac-12, and Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold. What do you see in those guys? What, what's going to make them successful as they transition here as somebody who's gone through it? Well, I, I think as most people – figure out we we have no idea if they're going to be successful or not we just know they're they're very good college quarterbacks Josh Rosen was probably the most uh, what I what I consider fundamentally and technically sound quarterback and most NFL ready Uh, the fact that he fell to 10 was was tremendous in my eyes the fact that who I thought was probably either the first pick or the second pick in the draft and Sam Darnold fell to three in New York so I look at what Arizona and what New York got and I feel like they got possibly the number one draft pick uh, at quarterback at three and ten, which is which is great. Uh, I think that what's interesting about this year's draft too is that all five quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round may not see the field this year. Probably won't be the case because you know, but there's established veteran quarterbacks that are in front of the ones that were drafted, so they don't have the pressure of going in and starting immediately, which is not necessarily always the case. And so I, I'm interested to see how that plays out. I know if, if Cleveland starts losing games early, that, that fan base and everybody's going to be clamoring for Baker Mayfield to play, and I don't necessarily know if, if, if he's able to deal with, with losing a bunch of games and then possibly losing the head coach and having a whole new system and stuff like that. That was my, my biggest worry for anybody who was going to be drafted to Cleveland. I was very, very adamant and, and, and spoke up quite significantly about how anybody at the top of the draft should, should look really into talking to their agent and not – not ending up in Cleveland, but it's happened. Uh, I think they got the guy they wanted. Now let's just see how it plays out because I don't necessarily think it's a, a, a something about Baker necessarily. I think there's a there's a systematic breakdown when it comes to what the Cleveland Browns can offer. What would be your advice to these guys if you know Sam Darnold said you know, all right, Ryan, it was 20 years ago you got drafted. What, you know, what advice would you give me to to help me succeed in the league? What would it be? Well, I think that everybody that makes it to that level is talented, period. I may have been more talented, but it's what you do from Sunday to Sunday. So for me, uh, the thing I always tell the young men is that just because you're a great football player doesn't make you a good person. And if you can build that foundation first, that's going to lead to great opportunities for you, and you're going to do better at your job as well. But also, when you walk into that locker room, I want you to find the guy that has been able to play for 10, 12 years, the veteran who's learned how to be a professional football player, you go up to you go up to him. You ask him how he did it, and then you then you you do exactly what he tells you to do. And I had two perfect examples of that for me in San Diego when I got there, and Rodney Harrison and Junior Seau. And I and I didn't do it. You know, I, I became friends with them, but I just I didn't look at them as guys that could guide me uh, to do and be the best possible professional I could have been. Since you brought up those two names, I've got to ask, is it intimidating walking into the locker room as, as the fresh-faced rookie and, and seeing those two guys as, as the leaders of that team? Definitely, but there's something that comes over you. And, and, and for me, I developed this idea that I was I was just so great. Everybody had told me that for the last six months. The crazy thing about the NFL draft is, too, you, you're a part of this team while you're playing college football. You're playing in the national semifinals. You're playing for a national championship in the Rose Bowl. And it's all team-oriented. But once you declare for the draft, you are a part of no team. You're a part of Team Ryan. 
and you have an agent and a publicist and a marketing and you are trying to build your brand as big and bad as it can be so you can get drafted first. It's all about you. And some guys are able to compartmentalize and do that. And when the draft day comes and you become part of a team again, it goes back to that. Some people, and like in my case, it was all about me. That narcissism really took over and was a just a huge contributing factor into my in, in my failure. Since you brought up the draft process, Seth had a, a you know a topic that we were talking about in the last segment about like with the NBA, the NCAA changed the rule that you can declare, don't hire an agent. You could go to the combine, you could get. Uh, as much feedback as you can get over the course of that period and then make a, a well-informed decision about whether you should stay in the draft. He brought it up with football. Do you think it would be a good idea, or is it just not realistic, for the, the NFL and for the NCAA to allow guys to go to the combine, say after their junior year, they can get all the feedback, get all the information, and then decide whether or not they should stay in the draft, or just the timing of the whole thing. It's you know Obviously, football season is much different than basketball season. Is it too late in the process for the kid to be able to go back to school realistically? I, I think it would be a great idea. I think it would just be... I, I think that the scouts or the NFL, they're the ones that are going to be up in arms because then they have to scout you know, potentially 20, 30, 40 more players per team, possibly. So that's where it comes into play. I think that's a great idea. You go allow... In my case, it may have just been better for me to go through the experience of being and having the scrutiny on me. You know, not only go through that process, but then go. You know what? I I think I need another year of college. Um, I don't necessarily know if if my draft grade came back as saying you're going to be the first or second pick in the NFL draft if if you don't go to the draft. I mean, you have to make a substantial sacrifice at that point and think that that you're not going to get hurt and and you're going to be more successful in, in and rise higher, which wasn't a possibility. So, But I think for guys that are on the verge, let's use an example as, as a young man who played at my alma mater this last year, a great defensive player, uh, Hercules Mataafa. And you know he, he decided he was going to go play pro, pro football. And he went undrafted and ended up being a free agent. Now, now he got signed as a free agent, and he's going to get an opportunity, and, and his work ethic and his athletic ability probably is going to give him that shot. But I think if... If he would have seen what what it looked like going through the whole process, he may have elected to go back and and improved his draft stock to possibly be maybe being a third or fourth round draft pick. You know, when you you look at your 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 conference and the Pac-12 this year, obviously a rough year in, in football with really not really being considered for for the playoff. And now you lose the top two quarterbacks seemingly in that conference. Uh, it seems like Oregon's getting a lot of buzz here uh, with Justin Herbert coming in. Who's that team that you're looking at? You know, early on that that you're seeing and, and saying, "Hey, maybe that's the team to take that next step and, and move forward." As hard as as hard as it is it for me to say, it's 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 the University of Washington. You know, they've been at the forefront. They made the playoff two years ago. Um, slipped up a couple times last year with that loss to Arizona State that really knocked them out of it. Made them miss being the North champion. They open up at well, not necessarily at Auburn, but it's at it's in Atlanta at the. the where where Auburn will have played their third game in a row, so essentially their <laughs> right. home field. That's going to be huge for them. If they're able to win that, that could put them a real good path of being the representative from the Pac-12. Now, the Pac-12 is is super competitive. I think a lot of conferences say that. I just I truly believe the conference beats the hell out of each other. Any team on any night, I feel can beat the other team. Maybe not Oregon State yet, but with the with the addition of Jonathan Smith as head coach, I think they're going to improve. My prediction right now has, has been Arizona out of the south, Washington out of the north. 
the unknown in the South is, is is there's so many unknowns. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be at UC, at UCLA or at USC. We don't know what Chip Kelly's going to bring to the table. He was so innovative, where a lot of college teams have, have adapted to what he did. It, what what new is he going to bring to the table to a a school that has not predominantly been able to win because it's more of a basketball school and they play 30 miles from campus and they don't have the fandom like he did have at Oregon. Utah is is the the ex- exception for me. I think that they're finally going to maybe be able to break through. But I, I'm really interested to see what Kevin Sumlin is going to do with that quarterback play at Khalil Tate. I looked at the Johnny Manziel, Kevin Sumlin years, and the stats that were put up and the athletic ability of this quarterback that they have in place right now. So that's why I'm kind of I'm thinking, even though there's a new head coach in town, that football team is going to be very explosive and tough to beat. So I'm looking at Arizona and Washington to probably – probably take the, the two divisions in that conference. Seth and I had a heated debate about this in the fall, about the current structure of the college football playoff. Do you like it at four? Some have suggested maybe six. You have the, the five power five conferences and then one wild card. Some have suggested eight would be the ideal number. For Ryan Leaf, what's the ideal number with the college football playoff? I'm, I'm either at six with two buys by the one and two seeds, or I, I'm at eight. And uh, that's that for me is... I just think that you're leaving somebody out that's capable of winning. I mean, Alabama sneaks in at four this year, and they were they were the best football team. Georgia was was right there, but they were. I thought the four teams were very competitive this year. I mean, no one would have thought Clemson would have get beaten like they did in the semifinal. Uh, if anything, you thought, you know, they would be the one to, to hold court. The Georgia Oklahoma game was amazing. So, I, I think that you remove possibly a non conference opponent. In scheduling, so if the coaches are upset about having to play an extra game, you remove a, a, a non-conference opponent when you play, you know, the Citadel or something like that, and you go on and and you play 11, 11 games and then have a possible extra game in the playoff where you add eight teams. I think that you know UCF, all this hoopla about being a, a fake national champion, or you know that would have been answered. They would have probably been in at eight, you know, and they would have got an opportunity to play Clemson in week one. Uh, in the playoff, and and I don't necessarily think that it turns out as well as they they, they think it would have. I don't think so either. <laughs> I'm with you. I, we need more teams. I'm I'm completely with you. Listen, Ryan, we could we could sit here and talk football all day with you. It's been a, a pleasure. You've been very gracious with your time. Uh, thanks so much. Continued success to you on, on the professional end of things, but more importantly, thank you for what you continue to do. And, and thanks for coming to Central New York and and trying to help out with this uh, epidemic. So uh, thank you for that and, and continued success to you and your family. You bet. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, there he is, Ryan Leaf. We got to take a timeout. Full lines now open the rest of the way. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. Back after. After this on ESPN Radio.